And so if you haven't already had those folks reach out to you, don't bank on it, and you know you're getting close to the time to be ready, then you're going to need to go down the path where most businesses get sold, which is using this type of multiple. That way you are positioning this so that an individual or a smaller strategic buyer could put just down a certain amount of percentage down, you know, 10% down, leverage the rest through a bank, and the bank will get behind it as long as you've, you know, prepared it in this way between a 1.5 and a 4.5. I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about physical therapy practice multiples and valuations. We're going to be getting into how or why banks and financial institutions are what control and decide the value of your physical therapy practice. That and more. Devin, welcome back on the show, man. What's going on? Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me back. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So Devin with Peterson Acquisitions, and you posted this on LinkedIn recently, and that caught my attention. I was like, I want to see that full screen. I want to share it on my show. Let's get you on here about valuation. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, jump over to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube. And we have uh, four columns of different guidelines for multiples. And if you are new to this, if you're a business owner, in terms of selling some or all of your practice and getting a valuation of your practice to potentially sell and have an exit strategy and succession planning and all that, businesses like yours, service-based businesses, physical therapy, healthcare businesses, and service-based businesses outside of healthcare as well are valued on a multiple of net profit as a fancy word is we we say EBITDA adjusted uh, adjusted EBITDA earnings before interest taxes and depreciation and amortization but basically it's a net income net profit number after addbacks that are not vital to your business and we've talked about that a bunch on the show before so Devin what's up with this graphic have you gotten any like pushback from business owners from practice owners from folks where they think that their practice should be worth a well, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight X adjusted EBITDA multiple. If they're doing a couple million in revenue and they're saying this, you know, this doesn't make sense for their type of business. Like, have you gotten any pushback on this? Every day. Every day I get pushback <laughs> on this, man. Yeah, every day. Yeah, every day business owners want to sell for more, business buyers want to buy for less. So yeah, it's a constant yep. battle and struggle. But that's why we and by the way, too, I mean, I just want to clarify, like Peterson just put some simplicity to this, right? But we we didn't make these rules. So this is not Peterson's opinion, by the way. This is just Peterson's simplification of the rules that dictate how businesses are priced. I mean, you know, you and I were talking about this beforehand. And I think one of the videos you said that I saw of mine where it sparked your kind of curiosity about this was what I was talking about is banking regulations. And most small businesses, small, even medium-sized, and oftentimes even large businesses will use some form of debt to purchase or acquire or, you know, liquidate, right? So when you're using debt, you have to respect what the respect what the banks say, okay? And especially if you're talking SBA lending, 
which you know is the vast majority of businesses uh, will use or acquisition volume numbers, not total dollar amount, but total numbers of transactions. When you think small, medium sized businesses are going to use some SBA lending or SBA financing, right? And so they have even more very clearly lined out rules and regulations around buying businesses, right? And so we even have some toolkits that we use that we stole straight from from the banks and from the SBA that we use when we price businesses. And so what we do is we first identify that cash flow number, exactly what you just described, right? So here it is on the tax return. So by the way, I mean, this all starts with that tax return. I cannot tell you how many business owners just really don't pre-plan that out, okay? So please, it's a totally different strategy to go from, I'm gonna reduce down my taxable income as much as humanly possible CPA, too. And that's, by the way, that's how CPAs think too, right? And no offense to CPAs. I love them. I've got one. Uh, a lot of buddies and partners are, are CPAs. But what they think is two things, compliance and helping business owners reduce their taxable income. Okay. And they are working in exact opposition to me, which is trying to help you get the best value for your business. So you have to change that strategy, change that thinking about three to five years out from the time you plan to, to liquidate. I don't say retire because most entrepreneurs can't truly retire fully. But when you plan to liquidate that business and move on, you got to think three to five years out, use the tax returns, make sure you're very clear with your CPA. I'm having tons of conversations with CPAs right now about, okay, guys, you know, strategy needs to change going into next year or make sure this year we've got everything clearly lined out. So it's simple for a bank to see, a broker to see, a banker to see, or excuse me, a, a buyer to see exactly what were those items that were kind of discretionary that, yes, were used for some business, but, you know, isn't really super necessary for the business to maintain with a buyer. And uh, as a matter of fact, just a little little um, plug for some other folks who did some education on this recently, Richard Parker and Deb Curtis, literally on LinkedIn a few days ago, talked fully through about seller ad backs and uh, cash flow. So highly recommend that for anyone who's kind of in this space, thinking about this for the next several years. But once we've identified that number, then what I do is I go and I, I plug all that information in the toolkit that we use. And then we kind of decide a multiple using this criteria. Okay. And so it's most small business, small to medium sized businesses will trade between 1.5 and four ish. Okay. Of that cash flow number after it's been identified. And it's really important that we clarify that because Sometimes people have told me, well, Devin, yeah, my buddy, and I think we said that my my buddy watched Shark Tank or had a friend who's down the street who sold it, you know, seven times or whatever, right? And so it's really important that when we're talking multiples, we understand what we're multiplying because EBITDA truly is a different number than adjusted EBITDA, for example, or right. that pre-net income, that uh, pre-debt income that's on your tax return is a different number than cash flow. So it's important that we're really clarifying what we're multiplying. In this case, we are multiplying what we call as cash flow, seller's discretionary earnings, adjusted EBITDA. Those are different phrases for a lot of the same things, which when you're dealing with small and medium-sized businesses, there's oftentimes owners involved. And so they're getting a salary, they're getting some perks from the business that may or may not need to continue on in the business when the buyer takes over, right? So that's what this number is multiplying. But yeah, so when someone asks me, Hey, Devin, well, I heard it's, you know, seven times multiple. I clarify, what are you multiplying? And if they say EBITDA, that may be true because oftentimes the EBITDA number or the pre-tax income number is smaller than cash flow because you're not adding advance. So yes, that could be true, but not always, not always. Okay. So sometimes, or sometimes people use revenue models for 
I need multiple and they say it's one times revenue or whatever. Right? I'm selling a CPA firm right now and CPAs love being married to a revenue based uh, multiple, which is a lot, fine. A lot of owners, a lot of owners like that. They, they, yeah. they, they have a million dollar business, a million dollar in revenue. They want a million dollar purchase price and they don't care how you got there, but they want that number. Exactly. And that's, that's fine if you do that. And sometimes this methodology will align with that. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. It doesn't. Right. Right. We don't know. All I know is, is like, if you plan to use debt and the vast majority of buyers do, if you want to actually sell your business, you need to position it for the maximum number of buyers possible. Right. If you're going to try to niche it down and try to only sell to the big strategic acquirer, good luck, because guess what? You would have already been called by now if they want to buy you out. Because strategic acquires, they don't wait till something hits biz by sell to then say, oh, look, Devin just listed that firm for sale. So now we'll go in, inquire on it. They don't do that. They have entire infrastructures of people who go chase down exactly what they want when they're in acquisition mode. So that's been another thing that's been very surprising to me that the further down this road and more experience I get in business brokering is how many sellers think they're going to sell to this big strategic acquirer who's going to pay an ungodly amount of money for their business. It's just, it's very rare, right? It does happen. I'm working with someone right now who's selling a, a plumbing business actually, and he got an offer for a, a revenue-based model and it was well above the cash flow value. He said no to it and he regrets it to this day because now that those folks have moved on, they're no longer in acquisition mode. So he lost out, right? I think you've had people on your show who've had the same experiences of like, I said no to an offer I should have taken, man, uh, yep. you know, through themselves. So anyways, long story short, is like, that's not the most common way businesses get sold is through big strategic acquires, long story short. And so if you haven't already had those folks reach out to you, don't bank on it, and you know you're getting close to the time to be ready, then you're going to need to go down the path where most businesses get sold, which is using this type of multiple. That way, you are positioning this so that an individual or a smaller strategic buyer could put just down a certain amount of percentage down, you know, 10% down, leverage the rest through a bank, and the bank will get behind it as long as you've, you know, prepared it in this way between a 1.5 and a 4.5. So the reason that why that matters is for a number of different reasons. I mean, let me tell you ultimately why it matters that these multiple matters, because really the banks make the rules when it comes to this, because again, vast majority are going to use debt to purchase businesses, whether it be individuals. Most of the buyers we deal with for the vast majority of the hundreds of businesses we sell every year, the vast majority of the buyers are individual people, individual people or very small competitors trying to buy out their their neighbor or whatever, which we kind of put in the same category because it's not someone with tons and tons of money that can do this with cash necessarily. So in other words, there's someone who's going to need to use debt, right? So they're going to have to go to a bank to get the money to buy that business. And so what the bank is looking at is actually not a multiple or evaluation or any of that kind of stuff. They don't care about any of that stuff. What they care about is how much money does this business make and how much money does it have to pay down a debt service basically, right? So, yeah, so, so debt, debt, debt service coverage ratio. Exactly right. Yeah, that's all they care about. And so these multiples that we use respect that debt service coverage ratio on the average, okay? And so, yeah, as a business broker, we're in the business of valuing, but we're value, and many business brokers, they don't use this methodology. They might use nothing or they might just give the seller what they want and throw it on the market, cross their fingers and hope for the best, right? And that's unfortunately the average. That's not the worst. That's the average. And so when you are going to someone to get a valuation of your business and it's a broker or you're vetting brokers, please make sure you ask them 
okay, tell me exactly how you value businesses. Don't tell them this is what I want or the, you know, and will you list it? They'll tell you sure, because then they get a listing and that actually helps them in terms of making their portfolio look bigger, whatever, right? So it actually benefits more than that does you. And all that's going to happen is you're going to 12 months are going to pass by, you're going to be frustrated and nothing's going to happen basically. So ask them about specifically how they vet or vet the pricing model. Do they run it through SBA banks or not? That kind of stuff, right? So make sure they have some kind of a semblance of an idea of how they're going to price. But ultimately what's the debt service credit ratio piece, it's partly that, it's, it's majoritively that, but it's also not only does this business have enough money to cover the debt, but also does it have enough money then to pay or give some cash flow to the buyer? So for example, the reason why these smaller businesses, you know, if the SDD is pretty small, less than the 100K, well, let's say we value the business at a quarter million or something like that, just a, a small hypothetical, because it's making 100,000. So that's a 2.5 multiple. So we're kind of pushing the, pushing the limit there. Well, the debt servicing on a quarter million dollars, is maybe 40 grand. So now all of a sudden you got $60,000 of cash flow left over. Is that enough for someone to live off of in the New York area, Dave, where you live? Probably no, not. No, <laughs> not very easily, right? And so that's what the bank's going to look at. So they're going to look, okay, so maybe that's two times, you know, maybe the debt service cover works, but someone can't really live off that in this geographic market that they're in, for example, right? So that's another factor they have to consider. Like when your business is smaller, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. It's harder to demand higher multiples because, you know, the person coming to buy it, they, they can't take on a poverty level income to purchase the thing, right? So the bank also factors that one major component in too, which is like, how much money will they make after it's, after the, the debt is taken on, for example, which is why when it is smaller like this, that's why the multiple is actually much less. Because again, like the debt can't be so burdensome that there's not enough money left over for the buyer to live off of. It really has to have something more or there's higher customer concentration, things like that. So right. all that kind of stuff pushes those multiples down when it's smaller, you know, high owner involvement. Because if there is high owner involvement, you want to try to push the multiple up, then again, you're reducing your the number of buyers that can pursue you because then you have to find an owner operator, basically, right? And you're not factoring in any replacement costs of you leaving. But someone like you, Dave, like, you know, you're looking to buy businesses and you're not specifically looking then to go buy another job necessarily where you have to, right. you have to be the one to go fulfill the services because you've already got another practice. So you're, what you as a buyer are factoring in replacement value, right? And so you're going to, you want to purchase businesses, but you don't want to overpay because you can't have so little SDE left over that the acquisition isn't worth anything to you anymore. It's not making you any money. Because that's the first thing that you want to buy when you buy another business is you want to buy revenue and cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just read through the, the the guidelines here for multiple? Just for anyone that's listening on the podcast, I can just read oh, through yeah, these sorry. columns. I, I know, no, I know we kind of started to go into the 1.5, the low. So there, again, there's four columns here for low multiple 1.5 X multiple. So, and Devin, you already mentioned this. So uh, heavy owner involvement, that means the owner spinning all the plates. They're doing a lot of the roles and responsibilities. The whole business is probably revolved around them. SDE or seller's discretionary earnings, which is when you talk to practice or business owners, like SDE, some people use SDE or EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA. And in some cases, they're different numbers, but we'll say adjusted EBITDA or we'll say SDE, which is like annual net profit of $70,000, like in that range high labor demand, customer concentration. So that would be like, if in physical therapy, like if 80% of your patients were all like Medicare patients, like the same payer or something like that, this business would be harder to finance. And then uh, what does this part mean? Opportunity equals address weaknesses. Like if you address weaknesses, there is opportunity there. What does that mean? 
Yeah, yeah, basically. So in other words, all these things above, or maybe there's lack of systems and things like that, right? So in other words, there's a lot of stuff to fix, essentially, Got right? It. Got in the it. business. It's not super systematized. It's not up with the times. Buyers like to see things that like they can fix, but they don't want to have so much they have to fix that they have to pour in a bunch of money when they first step into the doors necessarily in order to Got get it, it kind <clears> of like <throat> running better, running smoother, running more profitably, you know, maybe using software, maybe they're not using software anymore. They're still doing things that are super archaic, for example. Like, so what that specifically means is like, if there's way too many opportunities to address for a buyer to come in, like that's too much of a burden. They want to see something they can fix, but they don't want to have to have completely have to revamp this whole business on day one, if that makes sense. Got it. Then the next one, 2.5x multiple, a SDE seller's discretionary earnings or annual net profits under $120,000 annually labor heavy industry, not a niche business, erratic earnings. So there's like ebbs and flows of earnings and a business that is been in existence five years or less. The next jump up three to 3.5 X EBITDA multiple three X you have here uh, as you know, standard easy transition to owner 3.5 X. If there's higher earnings, of course, SDE sellers discretionary earnings or annual net profits of $500,000 or more per year. And then, yeah, if you're in that size of a business, the owner is typically absentee. And then the next step up, the fourth column here, 4X multiple and above would be for businesses and physical therapy practices with SDE sellers, discretionary earnings, aka annual net profit of $600,000 a year or more. It also helps if it's a desirable industry uh, or hot market, uh, steady growth of the business over time, strong management team. And any other, you know, intellectual property or like a moat or other things that are defensible, right? Exactly. Yeah. Something proprietary or unique, something like that. Exactly. Right. Yep. So people watching or listening and, and hearing this, you can just from those four different columns, you can see and hear kind of like an escalation of like a value. There's like more value and also less risk. There's less risk in the business as we go from left to right in this chart. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's why you can push up the multiple more as you're de-risking it, right? And as you're systematizing it more and there's less like the buyer would have to assume by taking over that business, right? They don't have to come in and be the owner operator. They don't have to come in and fix a bunch of systems or whatever, because as you're getting a little bit bigger, you're forced to build systems, right? So there's going to be, there might be improvements to those systems that can be made. And that would, that would be exciting to a buyer, but you don't want to necessarily have to build it all out from scratch day one as soon as you take it over. So you're exactly right. That's the best way to put it is like, there's, there's, you know, what I say is there's more meat on the bone, right? There's, there's more cash flow to be, to be able to be played with, you know, things like the owner's salary isn't so much of the SDE anymore as you're getting a little bit bigger and more systematized or the owners work themselves out of the operation a little bit more. So yeah, there's less replacement value, less, you know, less opportunities to fix. Um, there's more meat on the bones in, ter- in terms of cash flow and what can be reinvested or, whatever. So yeah, these types of businesses where the multiples are higher, they're actually easier deals to get done. They're easy to finance. There's more buyers for them. And so there is an incentive here for business owners to build more value in their business and not just keep their business at a comfortable level only for them necessarily, right? Because if they do know they want to sell someday, it's worth it to try to build build more into their business, basically more value into their business. Right. And and this is this is your, and this is just like a general guidelines and it's not like, I mean, it's, it's close in, in terms of like this, this provides more help where it's not just theory, but it's actually like a little more evidence and a little bit of like uh, guide rails in terms of like separating these out. 
what if you had like a business owner you're speaking with that was looking to sell their their business, their practice, and like maybe they're like like on the bubble. They're on the bubble between like the the three to three point five and like the four X. And let's say they're like around four or five or six hundred K in annual net profits here, but maybe they're not an absentee owner. Maybe they're still treating patients, they're working, you know, 40 hours a week, but they want the four or five or six or seven X multiple. Maybe they have some of these things in this column of a a strong management team. Maybe they don't. Maybe there's like in physical therapy, there's not a lot of intellectual property. It's kind of like your team, you know, your your therapist is is a huge value component. And then also like your book of business, like your current patients, your previous patients that know, like, and trust you. Um, but they could also go somewhere else at any given time. So what if you had a business owner that was like kind of on the bubble, four to 600,000 in annual net profit, seller's discretionary earnings, but maybe they're not an absentee owner yet. But they say to you, "Hey, like, I'm looking for this number, and you can you could do some of the math, and the number is like, oh, well, that would be a valuation of five or six or seven x EBITDA, but you're still treating patients forty hours a week along with your team." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, like I said, I, I was being serious when I said this happens to me every day. Uh, they, want, <laughs> they want more than what it's worth, and so typically, I mean, honestly, there's two. There's only two responses that I give to that. First one is, how motivated are you really wanting to sell? How badly do you really want to sell? Are you ready to go through this process? And the reason I ask that question is because I want to know if they're really going to be open, flexible, if they're ready to get a deal done. What that might require, I've, I've had sellers were more married to the number, but they were super flexible on structure, right? And that's the beautiful thing with business buying is like, okay, great, that's fine. But guess what? Interest rates are 11% right now. So you might have to do some seller financing that's much heavier Maybe it's 20, 30% because in a much more aggressive interest rate, because you're just so married to that number in your mind. If you're attaching so much of your personal value to the value of that number, because you built this thing, it's your baby, it's your blood, sweat, and tears. Fine. That's fine. Then you have to be more flexible in other aspects of the deal structure. Maybe you have to be prepared since you are the, the core cog in the wheel. Maybe you need to plan a 12 month transition then as part of this process, unpaid, you know, as part of the transition whatever. So I asked them that question to see, okay, how flexible are you? That's fine. If you want to be married to that one part of it, but are you flexible on everything else? You know, financing, deal structure, are you willing to leave some cash in the business? Are you willing to work in the business for an extended period of time and do a a longer transition? And so, yeah, I asked that question. And if if there's a lot of flexibility and openness to other aspects of the structure, then I might support them in saying, "I I I can support a little bit higher price point, but you have to be flexible. You have to be negotiable. You have to be willing to in- include other aspects to this, but also be prepared to like have no one then hit on this. And then, so we have to have some benchmarks here of like when we might be then needing to renegotiate that price point and, you know, be open to bringing it down if that doesn't actually come to fruition kind of thing. Right. The, on the other opposite end of that is um, they have to, or the this next thing I would do typically is I just show them exactly how the numbers work using the tools I described. So I'm always doing a virtual meeting like this with every single uh, owner, some kind of meeting in person, virtual, whatever. And I'm just showing them exactly how what they're asking for affects the buyer. Because part of what I'm, every single one of these sellers is very much wanting to see the buyer be successful and the business be successful. Because if they're still in, integrated in the business and they built it, it's their baby. They want their legacy to live on. Sure. And so they don't want to necessarily pummel over the head, the buyer, but they're just, they're, they're detaching that from what they believe is the value that they built into this thing that they deserve because of their blood, sweat and tears that they put into this thing over time. And so respecting legacy is fine, but then understanding the impact on 
the future legacy that they're going to overburden a buyer with by making this gross number in their mind, I actually physically walk them through and show them, okay, yeah, sure, you are at half a million, but the way you're pricing this thing now, that leaves maybe $100,000 left over for the buyer. Would you buy this business if that's all that was left over? And their answer is always no, right? And so I said, okay, so you got to be either flexible on price, flexible on terms. You have to upfront say that you're going to finance a vast majority of the deal or you're going to stay involved in the deal for a long time. Like we need to put that out there when we're doing our marketing and positioning. Like that needs to be standard right up front. And almost always they're willing to back down in some way, shape or form after they see like, this is the consequence of you pushing this agenda, this price, the structure, whatever. This is the consequence of that is like, you could basically lose your legacy and your baby. But it's also part of the reason why I always recommend that sellers do keep some skin in the game, no matter what, even if the price is really competitive and it's where it should be, that they still have some connection to the business through some seller financing. It just it's a way to keep, you know, interest aligned and otherwise. But when they're insistent on our price point, they're going to have to be prepared to finance a lot more or work for free in the business, basically for an extended period, something like that. If they're really so married to that number that they can't, they can't give it up, you know, but, but if they can't give it up, then they're really truly not motivated in the sell. And, and typically I go harder on, on that because they're most of what I deal with, honestly, my wife's a marriage and family therapist and I tease her and I say like, we're kind of both in the same business because we're de- dealing with psychology all day, every day. Right. right. We're dealing with, and that's what I do. The vast majority. I was speaking to a banker earlier today. He's like, I was talking to him about there's some cool new technologies out there that are doing these processes. Right now, when I go to work with banks, it's a very manual process. Right. And they, I send them everything digitally and then we have to break it all down with spread all these deals. There's some tools out there right now that are helping to do all of that through AI and technology that are doing some pre initial vetting and, and deal spreading to look at these numbers and make sure that it's bankable. Right. And so he made a comment. He's like, oh man, what are we going to do? And you know, we're going to all get replaced by this technology that are doing all these manual tasks for us. I'm like, we're going to do deal with all the psychology and we're going to coach everyone through this process, buyers and sellers, because that's honestly what gets in the way of deals more often than anything not. And all these slowdowns because of the paperwork actually just makes people increasingly fearful and scared and anxious and, and just drags that out. And that's why anybody and everyone you talk to who does any deals at all they all say uh, time kills deals. And that's why is because of the fear and the frustration and the, all the emotions that are going into this, they just get you know bigger and bigger and bigger, more accentuated. And uh, people just move on past these deals. But, but yeah, no, I mean, this is a very standardized thing. It's, it really all comes down to, you know, how, how motivated we truly are and, you know, what the seller is really planning to do next. Because honestly, like I, and here's the other thing that I do is I ask sellers all the time. Okay. So why is that number important? What are you going to do with that number? And you know what the most common response I get is, I don't know. I don't have a plan for what I'm going to do with that amount of money. Most of them don't have any idea whatsoever of what they're doing. Yeah, they, just, they, they just want the highest number. Highest yeah, number exactly. possible. Exactly. But that number doesn't matter. And so that's where I then can get in some other conversations about like, okay, well, let's think about specifically what you need to do whatever it is you want to do next. And so is it that you really want to do nothing for the next 20 years? Probably not. So okay, we're going to reinvest this into another type of an asset, right? That is is income producing, that you know gives you the income. It's all you need for today. Maybe it's real estate investing. Maybe it's the next larger business. Maybe it's the next smaller business. Maybe it's into a, maybe you've always wanted to own a restaurant. Go buy a restaurant that's already cash flowing, you know, and just use this money. And you maybe need way less than you think you need to go do something like that with. So a lot of it is just planning and preparation and then thinking through what they actually need. But you're exactly right. Like there's just so much coupled into, especially in your fields, you know, for sure, because, you know, folks in your space are, are um, building out these businesses over decades, you know, and it's, it's not just a, a business, but it's a trade and it's a skill and, 
And you find people staying in these spaces for a long period of time because they spent so much time getting educated and training themselves and continuing to grow these businesses that they're especially really coupled into the business, you know, really intimately. And so it's just so much harder to decouple themselves from that and look at the businesses for what it is, which is an asset. And just try to look at it more from an investor standpoint, a little more objectively, especially because I'm sure that plenty of them have their names on the building. And it's just so very common in the medical space, right? That that there's so much intimacy involved in their business, but it's the business is the thing where they built all that equity into. And if they just decouple that, you know, from themselves a little bit, then they can be a little less married to the numbers and realize like it just is what it is. And it's just plan for it, you know, and just think right. about it in advance, think about what you're going to do next. Don't wait until you're, you know, bored and burnt out and it's on fire and you want to be done with it. That's the last position you want to be in when you're trying to sell. You want to sell from a position of strength and you already know or you have a good idea of what you're going to do with that liquidity event moving into the next chapter of your life. Well, and, and also like the way you let outlined from the buyer's perspective, like all those things from the from the seller's perspective is great. And of course, they need to think through all that and talk with you about that. But from the buyer's perspective, that's refreshing because not many brokers or advisors that we've spoken with at least ever say it on calls or Zoom calls or whatever with us, which is like you gave the example of, you know, after you know you have X revenue and and here's your profit. And you know, if there's only a hundred thousand dollars in profit, like would you buy this business? To you saying this to your potential seller that you're speaking with, would you buy this business? Yeah, I, you know, yeah, you you probably wouldn't, right? And so therefore, like putting yourself in the shoes of the buyer, yeah, how can you be creative here? Like maybe there needs to be some seller finance. Maybe you take the business off the market. Maybe you try to grow profits over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months or whatever, whatever the plan is. But that's super refreshing to have you understand more on the buyer side as well and coaching and kind of mentoring some of your your clients that are looking to sell and on the sell side, because otherwise the deal is going to fall through or something, something can happen where the buyers are like, Oh, there's not enough meat on the bone here. There's not enough profit. So yeah, like either we're going to give you a very, like what you think to be a low ball offer, you might get offended, but maybe it's not a low ball offer. Maybe it's an actual offer. That's like from this type of a chart, like a 1.5 X or, or a 2.5 or a three X multiple. And it's a number. The offer now is, well below your revenue number. And you're like, well, my revenue is, you know, up here, but this offer is all the way down here. And it's like, yeah, because there's not enough cash flow. There's not enough profit. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. And honestly, I mean, selfishly, it's the reason we do it is because we want to get deals done, right? And we want, we want, you know, businesses to trade hands. And so we have to look out for both parties if we're doing it right. That's why we sell four and a half times more businesses than the industry average brokerages, because, we are trying to look out for everybody. We're making sure banks happy, buyers happy, sellers happy. And uh, we want to educate seller on, okay, you know, what could be next, all that kind of stuff. We need more buyers in the space, not just this space, but every space. We need more buyers in general of businesses because more and more people are getting educated and getting in the space. And, you know, more people are uh, getting people excited about the idea of small business ownership as an investment. But it still takes on average one to two years to sell a business. And the reason is because of a lack of buyers, right? And I thought we. I thought you were going to say because of uh, expectations of sellers, like both n- yeah. misguided expectations. I thought you were going to say it's both. It's that we need more buyers involved in the space, and then we also need sellers to be conducive to help in this process. But even when everything is perfect, it still can take some time to sell a business because there just aren't that many buyers out there, right? And small business accounts for sixty percent of the GDP of the United States. Sixty percent of those businesses are owned by baby boomer generation, older generation that all wants to be moving on, right? And the uh, generations behind them aren't large enough. And of those folks, so that group of folks, 
very few of them think of buying a business um, as their means to getting into entrepreneurship, right? So like if we don't become increasingly sophisticated and educated about these processes, like there's just gonna be more and more businesses that never get sold. And so we don't want that, right? Right. We really do want business to be able to trade hands and for buyers and sellers to be more educated. And that's why we do it. That's why we do, you know, have our education company. That's why we buy and sell side advisories. Our entire goal is just to get much more sophistication into this space more and more people into this space who want to do these things, buying more businesses, more sellers that use these liquidity events to then move on to the next adventure, ideally continue investing in, in um, businesses, right? That's why we have our capital company, whatever. But we need more people in the space. We need them to be more educated, more reasonable. And yeah, and just help these transitions and transactions just happen more frequently, more regularly, more smoothly. And so, yeah, we need to. So it is selfishly benefiting us to do this. We're not just doing this. I, we don't just educate this way. And make sure that everyone's taken care of, to be nice, to be honest. I mean, we're, we're genuinely doing it because we want everyone to be taken care of. We want everyone in this process to win. So they keep coming back and doing it over and over again, too, right? That benefits us. It benefits, yeah. benefits everyone else in the space. So we need this badly. We need everyone to be more educated about how these things work and just come back to reality and just use the reality to help them in their processes. Use the reality to help them plan for what's next and to you know, be more proactive about this. Yeah, awesome. So, well, it helps that you guys are doing sell side and buy side because there's a lot of brokers and advisors out there that are just sell side only, and then therefore they will typically inflate the valuations. And in my opinion, I've said this multiple times before that they will make a lot of money, or they make some of their money on just the listing fees, the marketing fees, you know, whatever, setting up the confidential information memorandums, whatever, and they make money. They make a lot of their money off of that, and they don't really. They they just want to have inflated valuations, knowing that you know if some close, great, many won't because it's a, a high a high commission or a, excuse me a high valuation like higher than what even makes sense based off of these types of guidelines and these like standards now these like industry standards of like valuations. It's awesome stuff, um, Devin. What's a good place for the audience to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing and Chad Peterson? Yeah, a petersonacquisitions.com is a good starting point. And that can take you as an offshoot to all the different things I talked about, buy side advisory and buyer coaching, uh, sell side advisory to our education company. You can find it on there, our capital company. So we're buying businesses as we go too. So if anyone wants to engage with us in any way, shape or form, if they want to interact with me directly, you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can, you know, connect with me there. Feel free. I'm, I'm, I openly connect with anybody, you know, I don't undiscriminate which kind of bites me sometimes when the, the solicitors are chasing me down. But I mean, I don't mind because it's a good way to connect with people. That's where you and I met. So yeah, pretty yeah. active on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. Message you there. I put out content that's educational like this. And I know that's how you you know saw this and wanted to reconnect and talk about this is because I put stuff like this all the time. So does Chad. So he's a good another good one to follow on YouTube and LinkedIn and stuff like that too, because he talks about stuff like this all the time as well. But yeah, we're just trying to put good out there and get people educated so that more people want to uh, get in this space and, and get serious about it because we we need it. Like I said, there's small businesses, the backbone of the of the economy, and uh, we need it to trade these small businesses to trade hands successfully. So happy to help anyone however we can in those processes. Awesome, Devin. Well, guys, if you find this valuable and helpful, subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube. We'll catch you next time. Devin, thanks for your time. Yes, sir. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. 
And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.